0: Of the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Captain John Frankman, Special Forces. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness. Ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and tonight is Monday, August 14th, in the year 2023. Tonight we have an amazing interview, and this is actually former Captain John Frankman, Special Forces, This is a man who has just recently stepped down and resigned his commission with the Special Forces and with the Army. And it's all centered around the COVID shot and the COVID nonsense. But what's really amazing is the argument that you will learn he makes. The only one I've come across so far that is his central argument was the principles of right to life and the use of baby fetal cells in the vaccine an amazing argument an amazing man you'll dis- you'll discover a lot about the quality and the integrity of what a real officer is when you run into one in the military and what the quality and depth of what our soldiers can be and or should be more frequently in our military Patriots one thing that's absolutely sure is the central banks in the countries like China India and Australia are beginning a transition to a digital currency. And the Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for the U.S. With the digital currency, the government will track every single purchase you make. Officials could even prohibit you from purchasing certain products or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. These are some of the reasons concerned Americans like to search out the Group Birch Gold Group. They want to have a physical asset that's independent from the U.S. dollar. Gold held tax sheltered in a retirement account. Learn if gold is right for you, so text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold has been helping the listeners here for a very long time, and it's proving to be great reviews overall. Text BARDS to 989898 and claim your free info kit on gold. Because if a central bank digital currency becomes reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on. Patriots, before we get going tonight, I want to read you something. I read it in the previous hour. This is really disturbing, and it all has to do with what's going on over in Maui. Let me read this. This comes from the from the Twitter account, now known as X, from Nicola, Nikola, N-I-K-O-L-A-3, also at... Ronin19217435. It says, Hawaii updates. I just got out of a meeting where I was informed by someone in the mayor's office about developments that are being kept from the public. I am not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't want to make trouble, but here's what I have heard. The amount of fatalities is expected to be more than 500, but less than 1,000. Many of the fatalities will be children who were at home because they canceled school, parents were working, and were not there to evacuate the children. The children had a had no idea they needed to leave, and by the time they noticed that their homes or apartments were on fire, it was too late. The government is worried about how we will react when we learn that the fire department left the fire early In the day, and claimed it was 100% contained, knowing that the winds were expected to be 70 miles per hour by the afternoon. This is against all fire control protocols. The fire department should not have left the original fire unattended. They are scared that the public calls for accountability will be more than they can control, and protests and riots will occur. They plan to lock down Lahaina for several months. It will take months to clean up the hazardous and environmental contamination. They won't have enough housing for all the displaced. There were 2000 folks unaccounted for this morning. They found 700 today, but they are still 13 but there are still 1300 missing. They are very worried that the community is going to freak out when they find out how n- not a single fire truck responded to this to this sinister fire. The em- Emergency sirens were not activated, hurricane sirens, and the loss of life could have been kept down by, by better emergency management, which ultimately failed. I'm not trying to make waves or stir up problems, but I was so angry and sad when I found out how many children are dead that I knew that I had to post this and let everyone know what I have learned. It's time for our officials to stand up, tell the truth, and face the music. They failed, Lahaina guys, The government is full of incompetent nepotism. O'ahu whistleblower. Patriots, to be honest, when you look at something like this, you begin to understand the greater complexities of how the elites worked. These sequence of events were not accidental. And though one could look at this and say, oh, that's coincidence, there's no coincidences in this event, especially knowing that the technologies that are at play here, we very much know that this area, the entire area, has been under high pressure by the elites to be purchased so that they could turn it into a a test bed for a, a 15 minute city, a smart city, using artificial intelligence as the management control system. They know that the locals, and this was originally the capital for Hawaii before the United States took it over, they know that the locals have been pushing back and refusing to sell. And the latest today is that realtors are calling people whose places have been burned down, asking them if they will sell the property. All of this was planned. And the layers of planning on this and the layers of which this rolls out, you have a lot of people saying, well, there's no way there was directed energy weapons. There was no way there was a conspiracy. I've lived through fires here in the the Northwest. I can tell you that these things don't just happen the way they do. And this fire has the same fingerprints as everything else. And it's too intense just to brush off. And the sickness is that with the number of children killed, unfortunately, what we know about these people is that ultimately... This has been a sacrifice for their worship of Baal. It always comes down to the same thing. so I'm going to play here just in in honor and memory of all of those in Lahaina I want to play a very special piece I just ask that you'll do a silent prayer as we play this before we get going tonight <laughs> God bless all the people in Hawaii that have suffered this, especially the children. Hawaiians, stand strong. Don't bow. Bet you it's one last thing before we get going here. And it's very real. We understand right now more than ever that something as bad is soon to happen and we're seeing it. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know necessarily what the problem is, but we know we have to prepare So take this time to be very serious. Take these events that you're seeing to understand that we have an evil cabal, a group of people that are ruthless and don't even have a limit to the evil that they will do. So I'm just being a very honest plea here. Take time to do a good food prep plan. It's not just for you, but it's for your neighbors. So head on over to to preparewithbards.com. There's some some amazing sales right now on there for their three-month emergency food kit. It's important that you get over there and take advantage of that. And it's a a time right now to stock up and be prepared for the unexpected. We really don't know what's coming at us and it's going to require all of us to work together. And that's the one thing that we're witnessing here in Hawaii is that the resources are short but everybody on the island is starting to come together. Even though FEMA and the government are trying to stop it, it's the people that will overcome. So take some time. Head on over to preparewithbars.com. Check out the stuff that my Patriot Supply has. It's there for a reason. Emergency food is essential, and we need to have a solid part of your plan as you go forward. All right, patriots. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to former Captain John Frankman, Special Forces. This is an amazing man. Great courage, and you'll discover tonight a resolve and a focus in fighting this COVID nineteen shot. That is so to the point and so honest and true that it leaves no room to discuss why you took it or shouldn't there's only one answer don't take it it's a moral argument that i give him great credit for standing on and never flexing on let me introduce to you to former captain john frankman special forces
1: and do you want to pray first that'd be great okay. sure yeah yeah you know, Thank you so much for Scott, and me, and how you're just using us, God. And this is not uh, this is not our story. This is your story, and what you're working through us. And we ask that uh, you send your Holy Spirit upon us, um, allow us to speak truth, to do so charitably, um, and may your will be done for us. And we pray that we may know your will and have the grace to fulfill it perfectly. Uh, we ask these things in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, patriots. That's probably one of the finest beginnings I've ever had in an interview. I want to introduce you today to former Captain John Frankman, Special Forces, who has made the very difficult decision, but very righteous decision to separate from the military based on the conflict and the challenges presented by COVID. He has an amazing story. His background is even more surprising, as we'll get to learn that. And this is truly an American hero. And I'm I am so honored to have him on today. You know my love and, and and passion for Special Forces, its origins, its reasons for being, it what it represents as the greatest fighting men in the military. So today we have a fantastic guest. So John, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Scott. Doing very well.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's start with a little bit about your background so we can kind of get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, so, born in Los Angeles, parents split up around six, um, but for whatever reason, always had just a belief that God existed, that he loved me. So, tried to maintain that relationship. Um, when I was 15, I became Catholic and just a great decision. Um, then, I attended Wheaton College for four years, did ROTC and Reserve Officer Training Corps. And I had the intention of being something in combat arms. But while I was in college, I started hearing God's voice a little more, I think, calling me to the seminary. So leaving ROTC, commissioning as a second lieutenant, I went into the reserves and went to Catholic seminary, studied for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and military archdiocese with the uh, intent of becoming a military chaplain. It's a six-year program if you already have a college degree to get ordained. So I did four years, discerned that was not what God was calling me to do, never got ordained, and let the military note that I needed to fulfill my active duty obligation from reserve officer training corps. I needed to fulfill that in some other role. And I saw it very much as a God thing that I found out that I was getting branched active duty infantry on Easter Monday. So it's the first day they open up after the Lord has risen. And I had actually tried to change my top preferences because I'd put infantry, armor, EOD. And I was at the time thinking, oh, I'm 26 and 27 now. I'm so much older and less HUA, but anyway, I got infantry and uh obviously that worked out. So infantry, then uh went active duty September of 2015, went through IBOLUC, the infantry basic officer leadership course. Uh went to Ranger School and you know, I'll eat some humble pie. It's supposed to be two months, took me five months, recycled some stuff. Just, you know, you get knocked down, keep on getting back up. Uh then went to airborne school. That was three weeks. And then I went to Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, for 14 months. And it was a shortened stint because I was a first lieutenant when I went through I-Bullock in interactive duty. So typically, officers will start their career progression as a second lieutenant, but because I was in the reserves, I was promoted to first lieutenant, so I had a much more condensed lieutenant time. So by the time I got to Fort Carson, I started thinking about special forces. i had met some great Green Berets, especially my buddy Andy, in in ranger school, and uh, he was a squad mate of mine, and I just liked how the rangers, or sorry, how the special forces kind of, operated the green berets they're they're kind of like chill relaxed attitude in ranger school all the ranger bat guys you know bat boys are just freaking out about stuff but uh so anyway kind of had that that planted in me and thought you know let's just give it a shot so put in for selection trained, trained my ass off went to special forces assessment and selection january of 2018 uh obviously i was uh selected and then i attended the special forces qualification course so that included the special operations force captain's career course, which is attended by Green Berets, special forces, um, civil affairs, and psyops I- individuals. So that's kind of jointly. And then you go into the qualification course, which entails uh special forces orientation course, special force or small unit tactics. Um, not as bad as ranger school, but still very good. And was very happy in small unit tactics to have that uh ranger buddy of mine as one of my instructors, you know, that never hurts. And then, uh, then SEER and uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So uh, great school as well. And then the 18 alpha course. So there's five different uh, military occupational specialties that you can have entering into special forces for the officers. You're going to be an alpha and for the enlisted, you're going to be a Bravo or a weapon sergeant, Charlie or an engineer sergeant, Delta or medical sergeant. And you get so much training. Your, your training takes so much longer for that or an echo a communication sergeant. So as an 18 alpha, I went to. that course. And then we have a culminating exercise, which is Robin Sage, where we essentially practice uh, an unconventional warfare campaign throughout the state of North Carolina. So it's basically pretending that Virginia invaded North. Well, there's a a whole continent in the middle of the Atlantic and just craziness. So I won't get into it too much. And then from there, I went on to study Spanish. I was selected to go to or assigned to seven special forces group because I already had some Spanish background. There's really no, no getting out of it. If you already have the defense language proficiency test in it. Uh, but you know, praise God, very happy to have gone to seventh groups. So did Spanish training then went to military free fall. And what's funny is military free fall for me was March of 2020. And I think we all remember that time. So forgive me if I wasn't so worried about COVID as I was jumping out of planes at, you know, 14,000 feet near 20 times or something. So anyway, uh, yeah, then I get back to uh, get back to Fort Bragg, and wait until I go uh, to Seven Special Forces Group to PCS there.
0: That's fantastic. Also, really nice breakdown too because there's a lot of details in that that a lot of people don't know, and that's right. that was nicely laid out. All right, so let's dig into where things start to go crazy. And you've written a fantastic article, which. <laughs> It's kind of thrown you right into the middle of the world from, um, you know, the, the silent warrior and, and humble warrior now to you're in the spotlight, but let's talk about what's happened here because everything you detail, and I'm just going to let you kind of detail the progression of events of what happens under COVID.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I get to my unit in summer of 2020 and everybody's freaking out about COVID. That's more or less the, the main thing that's in everybody's mind, uh, whether you're masking indoors, how much time you have before and after training events that you're, you're roaming or you're resting in place to quarantine. Um, and I get assigned my team September of 20 and just God put us together. It was just fantastic. Just an amazing group of individuals, very grateful for them, hope, hope that they're all doing extremely well. And. We're just critical thinkers, and we just speak openly, and and uh, we know that there's a shot that's being produced, and we're all a little bit skeptical of it, uh, not sure whether we're necessarily going to want to get it, and then it becomes available in December, and then in January of 21, uh, well, it's available at first, but then I think January, February is when us Green Rays at 7th could get it, and I remember seeing a sign up for it, because at first it was, you have to sign up, you go at a scheduled time before it was just kind of mass given. And I looked and I was the only officer in my company who had not signed up. So to understand that, that there's maybe eight officers in a special forces company or an AOB. And I was like, all right, well, interesting. And I knew it was being pushed very heavily. It was seen as the readiness issue that you just need this for readiness. And I think the group chat was always just totally filled with, hey, get your vaccine. We're having a vaccine rodeo on this day. Um, Emails about it all over the place. Warnings that, hey, it's going to be necessary for deployments. And I just kind of told my guys that as their detachment commander, more so as their senior raider, I would neither punish or reward them for whether they got the shot. That I might receive some shit for it, but whatever. You know, I personally didn't want to get it. But that's just kind of the stance I took. And we didn't try to pressure them either way, my team sergeant and I. Um, he's just way more libertarian than I am. I'm a lot more conservative, especially on social issues. But he's just like, hey, just leave me alone. And to him, it was funny because his Green Berets. He, I talked to him on the phone the other day, and he said, "I've never. They've never pushed me that hard to do something ever. Like this is this is wild. I don't know what's going on. Usually, it's just hey, get this done. Figure out how to do it. But now it's, it just it didn't fit right. And I think for a Green Beret mindset, it didn't. So. Anyway, we, we kind of continue going. My team's kind of the, the not vaccinated team. We get some crap mostly from the, the company Sergeant major and my team Sergeant, especially like he would just be in the office, like two or three times a week, just getting reamed for something. And we're known as the tinfoil hat team. And you know we're all laughing about it in there, but, but for me and my reason at that point for not getting it is I understood that there were aborted fetal cells used in the production and testing of all these vaccines. And my understanding of the Catholic position on that had had kind of grown I won't say evolved because that's just a stupid word to use for things that people throw out a lot, but it kind of matured in the in a fuller understanding to where at first I knew it was material remote material cooperation for me to choose to take a shot that is made produced using aborted fetal cells, that is the murder of an unborn child uh that would be Remote material and have to have a good reason to do that or a good enough reason. And just being pressured and looking bad at work at first, that wasn't it. Uh, so you go on. I have some interactions as well with our major, and just I'm like, hey, it's you can't punish or reward us for it, and uh, and you can't give undue command pressure, but didn't stop him from making various threats, He's telling me I'm screwing my career up, should look for work outside the military, and you can fill in the blanks. There's different more colorful language happening. Um, and that, uh, that he would, he would kick guys out of the company if we lost the mission because of not being, being jabbed and that he would send them to the B team. So that's like put, being put on the sideline. That's like being benched. Like you go through all the training. Hey, I'm going to bench you. I'm going to kick you out of the company. I'm going to send you to Swick, I'm going to send you to basically be a teacher, um, and guys live to deploy. So, um, we get through that and. I didn't really have a whole lot of direct pressure um it was just kind of that incident. i think there was a point where this the company commander sort of realized that hey these guys they're not really going to budge we got to just kind of kind of give it time and back off maybe i said something with the uh, undue pressure that he kind of understood so we you fast forward to june of 2021 and we are out in arizona we're doing some free fall training and at that time first special forces command makes it a requirement to be vaccinated in order to deploy, in order to go TDY uh, overseas. And my team had a mission to a country in Central America that we had been planning for. I'd already been out there in April for about a week doing the pre-deployment site survey. And we were trying to tailor it to our team's specific skills, which is military freefall. And so order comes down, it's required. I have to have a call, a conversation with the company commander. And he says, "Hey John, I know your team doesn't want to get the shot. I'm sure you saw the new policy, but what's it going to be?" And I had already talked to the guys and basically said, "Hey, Matt and I probably aren't going to get it. Um, you guys, if you want to get it, sure, but just let let me know. Like it's your choice if you want to. We're not pressuring you." And I just so I told the company commander that's well, you know, if if it's going to be between us getting the shot or taking the mission, well, you're going to have to take the mission because I only have one guy who's willing to get the shot right now. He's like, "Oh, okay, well," and then I asked. What about national immunity? Are you willing to accept that? And we, I mean, the science was out there. If people are willing to look, you just go to just different news sites, you do a little bit of research. It's just not that hard to know that national immunity is better, to know that there's an increased risk of myocarditis, pericarditis, heart problems, to know that it's emergency use authorized, which means that the drug companies aren't held liable at all. And also just to be, have your eyes open and understand that there's we a lot of kind of psyop pressure being put on the entire populace to accept this thing. So anyway, I asked about national immunity and they said, no, we're not willing to accept that risk, which kind of baffled me later on and seemed kind of ironic that they were willing to, like I said, we we're doing free fall training, send us out of planes at nighttime with oxygen and equipment at like 14 K. And anyway, we get back, we lose that, that mission and get thrown into a couple training exercises. Um, Team Sergeant and I were a little skeptical, like, are they trying to set us up for some failure here? And I I don't think that was necessarily what was going on. Um, We did then get sent to the Joint Readiness Training Center um, because that was at the same time when our JST was going to happen and not the most desirable assignment. Um, And you get to August of 21, and that's when the mandate went out officially. So we're told Pfizer is FDA approved, and I just could never believe as I was waiting that there's not, there's no way they're going to approve it that quickly. Like you need, it's never happened that fast. That's crazy. And from what we're seeing with the VAERS, the vaccine advance, sorry, vaccine adverse events reporting system, which is available, which is run by the CDC, which is extremely undercounted because it requires a doctor to go in there, spend a lot of time and put the information in. So you have this undercounted report of maybe 5,000 people have died from the shot. Or however many it was in the summer. I think we're. Do, do you know what we're at now? I think it's like thirty-five thousand or thirty thousand. On
0: bears, it's about thirty-five. In real count, it's much higher. Yeah, I mean, it's it's studying. It bears represents about one percent right. uh, to maybe ten percent of the actual data. So I think you know.
1: But you're you're on point. So at any rate, we see that in August, it's it's FDA approved Pfizer, but we we do, we do the research and we see, well, you know, Pfizer is what's F like community is what's FDA approved. I like to call it conformity, but community is FDA approved, not Pfizer. And for folks to understand the distinction, it's like saying you have toasted oats and you have Cheerios. Well, you know, one's kind of a rip off, but the thing is that if you, um, you, you can't be held liable for, for the one, like, and you can, and there's so many, there's the legal distinction that matters. Um, because, the Secretary of Defense cannot order service members to take an EUA emergency use authorized drug. It's emergency use. It hasn't been tested long enough. And I knew I was going to throw a religious exemption in. Um, And I'll I'll try to get back to the the life issue. But I'd been doing a lot of research with regards to the morality of, of the shots. And at first I told you I thought it was material cooperation, but read a great article by Father Phil Wolf. And he gives the analogy he talks about how it's not just the murder of the unborn child in the seventies. And let's keep this in mind. This is H E K two, seven, three. What is that? What does that imply that there was a two, seven, one and a two, seven, two, and that's kidney human embryo, kidney, you know, how long it takes to develop a kidney. Do you know how developed these like fetuses are when you like rip them out of the womb? And anyway, um,
0: I'm with you, brother. I mean, this, this is atrocious. And this is where we start to get into this whole eugenics mindset and the harvesting of humans for the, for whatever motives that they have. It's sickening. So I'm, yes, it's, it's, and and just so I say it, I'm just, I'm really commending you at this being one of the center points. I don't think we've interviewed anybody that has put the fetal cell issue forward as much as you are. And that is, if you know my heart and what we do here, it is, always central towards the children. So really, really commend you for this place.
1: No, I appreciate it. And you know, the life issue is that's the right upon which all of our other rights stand. If we don't have the right to live, we don't have the right to speak. We don't have the right to bear arms. We don't have the right to life, liberty, and happiness. I mean, it's just so foundational. Um, So I'm, I'm getting through this understanding. I'm reading this article, like praying about it, and I'm seeing that, okay, so it's the murder of the unborn child, but it's also the theft of its body parts. You don't, we don't have a right to that child's body parts. And there's a reason why if there's a service member who's killed overseas, we do everything we can to recover his body, his or her body, and inter them, to bury them, to properly dispose of the body, because guess what? That body is sacred. That's where our conscience lies. That's where if you're a Christian, the Holy, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reside. It's something sacred. Uh, and so just to get that piece there. And because it's a continued theft, I had the the remote material cooperation idea, but now I'm like, you know, this is proximate. Then that was the argument that it's not just remote, it's proximate. And other people will say, well, there's other drugs that have been tested on aborted fetal cells, et cetera. Well, maybe they were tested on it, but guess what? Something like Motrin. That was produced way before we were harvesting these babies for testing. All of the COVID shots, they would not exist if it were not for abortion. If it weren't for not, not for abortion, they would not exist. And that is a huge distinction in my book. The other ones that I didn't know about, you know, Mayo culpa, shame on me. I'll try to learn more and adjust fire as I can. But at, at any rate, I'm having this understanding that it's proximate material, it's grave. I can't justify it and i think later on i get in the discussion where i'm asked what would i say to a catholic or a christian who received the shot or was thinking of receiving the shot and i say i i responded and god is just with me there but um that do you think it is worth like being complicit in the sin of abortion the murder of a baby the theft of its body parts for a disease that you have a 99.99 percent chance of surviving And if you're a Catholic, I highly recommend you going to a good priest and confessing. Now, I'm not saying it was a sin for all of them. And this is a debate I had with the priest last night. um, And I don't think it was a sin for everyone necessarily because there was a lot lot of confusion on the issue. Some people might not have been aware about the aborted fetal cell. Some people early on, I mean, we were just being inundated in the media with, hey, it's safe and effective and it's all good. It's going to save lives. So definitely... Many layers of reduced culpability. Um, so let me get back to we're in August. It gets.
0: Let me jump on that real quick because I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I mean, we may say it a little differently. Sure. This is really critical because it's interesting what you're saying because right from the very beginning, I, mean, I saw this coming in many different levels. For one, I'd been up at working in, in and around the Super Soldier Project, which, trust me, this Vax comes right out of that pit. And, you know, it got put in my heart very clearly that if you took it, it didn't matter where your level of culpability is, repentance was at the center of all of this. You, you made a mistake, and I, and I sure. get what you're saying about the different levels of accountability, but the fact of the matter is, it was nonetheless a free will choice. And I think this is a really important piece that people have a hard time with, and they didn't take the time, like you're saying, when all the information was there, to take a pause, literally to turn to him and say, okay, what is the right place? Instead, we reacted in fear, and fear, it was it's 365 times in the Bible. I think we get the point that, and I, you know, I go a little bit farther because I'm one that's like, fear is a sin. And people are like, I don't know if it's a sin. I'm like, well, after 365 times, I think we got a point here. Fear. Yeah, that, that We're not supposed to be driven by fear, right? So continue.
1: Yeah. And gosh, so many places to go off of that. Um, oh, where was my mind going? Anyway, yeah, I'll just continue. And if, if God wants it to come back, it'll come back. <laughs> it'll be good. Keep going. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm, I'm doing this, this research. Uh, I also talked to another, another priest who is very solid, very supportive on it. And a definition of sin is an act against reason. By God, who made the eternal law, he shows, which is like his law. That's how he rules all things. That's his, his intellect. He gives us his revelation through the divine revelation, which is Jesus Christ coming into this world, which is the Israeli uh, revelation. But he also does through the natural law. So we can know him through these things. So if you go against reason, if you go against those metaphysical principles, the the principle of identity, the principle of non contradiction. I mean, what, what are we, we're doing that right now. If a thing cannot be and be at the same time in the same manner, okay. So what's what's a transgender? What's a man? What's a woman? You know, we're just we're we're beyond. So an act against reason is is a sin. So he said it's grave matter with regards to the aborted fetal cell and it's grave matter with regards to prudence. And we can disagree on levels of culpability, but I'm with you. And repentance, that's where I was going. So repentance is is needed. And in this, I'm not anything crazy. I'm just trying to do what I think God wants me to do. Um, This was a very confusing thing. And there's many things that I know that are sins that I commit regularly. And I try to repent them from it. And saints aren't people who haven't sinned. It's people who have sinned a thousand times and they get up a thousand times. So whatever you've done in your life, whether it's Getting the COVID shot, whether it's whatever great thing, God's grace is greater than your sin will ever be. Um, so we're we're in August, uh, shots mandated. Team understands this distinction between uh, Pfizer, community, between emergency use authorized and FDA approved. Well, we kind of <laughs> I was like, all right, let's just try to dodge this and get to uh, the Joint Readiness Training Center in September, and we'll we'll go from there. That'll at least buy us some time. So so we get to the Joint Readiness Training Center. Uh, Lloyd Austin uh, puts the deaf memo saying that you need to get the shots. And I mean, the language is you need to get an FDA approved shot. So, okay, <laughs> show me the shot, show me the money. Uh, then there's also language that says they won't accept medical exemptions. And I've been researching this for a while. I'm thinking, oh, great medical exemptions. I've had two tests from LabCorp showing natural immunity. One of the things that is required within the the medical uh, waiver process is if you can show that you've already had it, if you can show you have national immunity, then you're exempt. So the military was going against its own longstanding policy and putting the shot out. So we're, we're there in the joint readiness training center. And that's in exercise that has thousands of service members. It's a brigade level exercise where you're practicing for near peer uh, warfare. And my detachment got sent there. So we're trying to, uh, mimic operating behind enemy lines we're out in the woods like we're we're like sleeping out in the woods where this is a couple of weeks of just not showering and there's a 12 hour break there and the 12 hour break is more or less for the cadre those service members that are helping to train us through that and evaluating us it's for them to just debrief us tell us how we're doing get better take a little break just 12 hours of 2 weeks you know what's the big deal just let us let us have that and maybe doing some forward planning with the uh the role players and during that time, there was a major that was sent to my detachment and counseled us to, to get the shot. So the language was that we had 72 hours to decide what we were going to do to comply with the order. And if we disagreed, we'd then be ordered to do it. So it wasn't like a 72 hours and you're out. It was a, hey, review the information, figure out what you're going to do. If not, we're going to order you. And my team was livid, <laughs> had some you know great words uh, for the major, and I got done with that and got my phone out, called my, my company commander, and I asked, sir, why is my team getting counseled in the middle of the woods? How are they supposed to make a lifelong career-altering decision without the proper medical, religious, and legal resources? And how am I supposed to show them that fighting to win wars is more important than this administrative bullshit? Uh, when this is happening, and that we're just not going to get training value if this is hanging over our heads, and I was kind of told, like, well, you know, in the military, you're you're supposed to just kind of follow orders, and I really just deep down want to say, no, we, we support and defend the Constitution, and uh, <laughs> and I I mean I didn't say it because I'm trying to be as uh, you know I, I'm I'm still trying to be a good officer obedience um, to the extent that I can. Hey, I, I voiced my concerns. Great, let's pass that on. Uh, and ended up being where the official counselings got pushed back to October when we got out of the woods. And that frustrating, I was happy that happened, but I was also a little frustrated. And one service member, one soldier in my team pointed out that, well, that means they always had that ability, that anyone between me and the sec def could have been like, hey, those guys are training right now. Do you need to do this or can you wait until they get back? So, talk about a morale booster we were told by the cadre that we were like the best or the second best team they had ever seen uh at that time it was just some crazy dead reckoning through some thick thick brush i'm talking like three c's thick and uh to get to the first objective and and then we just kind of fell off then it just it just you know it's enough to be trying to simulate fighting the enemy but when it seems like it's the enemy within it's just so tough uh so we get back to um Get back to seventh group, we get the official counselings the first day, get the paperwork, and I look at it, and most of the team looks at it too, and I think everyone brought up the FDA-EUA distinction, and I think a lot of them put disagree, there's no FDA-approved shot. I put that I disagreed with a couple points. One, it said it was safe and effective. I said it's neither safe nor effective. We've had this many people in bears die from it, and it's not effective. A lot of people are getting sick still, and there is no FDA-approved shot, therefore I can't comply with this order. The next day, we all have to go talk to the group medics, um, group surgeons, and everyone's like, hey, FDA, EOA, what's going on? Uh, What's going on with all these side effects, too? And just saying, oh, it's safe. It's good for you. We love soldiers. I'm like, hey, what about Dr. Teresa Long's testimony? What about Dr. Pete Chambers, these whistleblowers? And and basically saying that, oh, yeah, Teresa's kind of weird. I don't know. I know her. And, And just not really taking any of her concerns seriously. And yeah, then I put my religious exemption in. So I'm just, because obviously I've voiced to you some of my concerns I've had on the religious piece. um, And I'd be happy to discuss too, because I think maybe some of your listeners might be thinking, oh, he's a Catholic. Didn't the Pope say it was fine to get? So happy to address that. But anyway, put the religious exemption in. The rest of the team, they get it that week, um, or there were like two at the end of the week who waited to meet with the battalion commander. So then the battalion commander was there with the sergeant major, with the chaplain, with the jag, the lawyer, and he's just ready to give out a go more. If you don't respond and a go more is a general officer, memorandum of reprimand, uh, serious, uh, detriment and, um, point in your file. So that's where we go with, uh, with how things kind of fall apart, fall out there. Uh, I stay on the team until January. Uh, we were supposed to have a mission to a different country, central America ended up getting canks, but because the mission was coming up and I was not allowed to deploy, I was not allowed to go TDY, which means travel. And we're talking not like out of the country, we're talking like within the state, if I'm staying overnight somewhere, I'm not allowed to do that. And I'm also not allowed to PCS or, or change duty station. So, so can't travel for work to in career enhancing schools, can't PCS, which includes uh, to an assignment that I was accepted for to get a philosophy master's and to teach philosophy and ethics, haha, ha, how ironic at West Point. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't deploy. So it's just, so I just kind of spent a while in the three shop, which is the operations office. Um, yeah, and I'm just still trying to bust my ass trying to do a good job. And I, I want to give credit to my leaders, because it sounds terrible, but other people have had it much worse than I did receive a lot more pressure. And uh they did try to help me out with ratings. They did understand that I was a hard worker, that we were getting stuff done uh within within the team and that I was succeeding. So I got a pretty good remarks um during that first OER officer's of evaluation report coming off being taken off the team early, which is kind of funny. And uh yeah, and then so I'm just hanging out there. Other significant stories. Uh August of 22, we have a two-star general come to. 7th Special Forces Group, and he uh, is part of the U.S. Army Special Operation Command, and he has a town hall with E-6 to O-4, so that's Staff Sergeant to Majors and, of course, Group Commanders there, and I had kind of joked with friends that are, right, yeah, I'll go ahead and ask him a question. Why not? You know, let's, let's see where this goes, and I, I don't really like the lulls, and, and he, he was taking questions, so I just raised my hand and, and asked, hey, sir, Captain Frankman, AS-3, uh, 3-7, Two weeks ago, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, changed its policy with regards to vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals, and they said that they should not be treated differently. That said, there's about 30 of us here who have not received the shot, and we cannot PCS, we cannot go TDY, and we can't deploy. Furthermore, I put my religious exemption in last October, and I haven't heard anything. That said, is there any kind of conversation about Changing the policy, rescinding the policy, and he immediately says, "Have you heard of Novavax?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, sir. It uses aborted fetal cells." <laughs> like, and then he just kind of took him a second to process. seemed a little stunned, a little surprised that I knew that, or that the talking points don't work because I think it they thought it was as simple as a flowchart, and uh, you know. Anyway. So I say that he's like, well, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but uh, if the army asks you to do something, you should really do it. And we're trying to find a middle ground and, and uh, you know, I won't kick, I don't want to kick people out, but I will, if I have to, so that happens. And then I'm like, you know, I, I actually hired a lawyer at this point, And I think I forgot to bring that up in different topics. Cause I'm actually worried about losing an honorable discharge. I'm concerned that I might get kicked out and have it have a general discharge, not have the GI bill. Not for whatever VA benefits, not be able to having to put that on job applications, not being able to go to school. I, I just spent eight years in the military. So that's an actual concern. And I think most of the people who got kicked out, and you might know it better than me, were kicked out with generals. It's insane. So um put my paperwork in, released from active duty paperwork, had an exit interview um with one of the leaders at the at group. And I just kind of... I didn't know or think I was necessarily going to go anywhere. But at this point, it's, it's about trying to be faithful. Uh, one friend, he, he joked with me that on my tombstone, it needs to say, if somebody doesn't say it, or if I don't say something, who will? Uh, so go in there. And he's like, oh, so, you know, heard good things about you. Solid dude. I know it's some weird stuff going on, but, you know, actually value your opinion. Let me know what's up. And he's like, why are you leaving? I go through everything that happened to me, half of my team, and losing that assignment to, to West Point as well. And uh, then I say, so what would you do? He's like, okay, okay. And then I say, do you think that the order was was legal? Do you think that was a lawful order? Yeah. Do you realize it requires an FDA-approved shot? I'm not a doctor. I've talked to your doctors. They're a bunch of yes men and useless. And I probably should have phrased it better, but that's what I said. Uh, and then asked, have you heard of Nuremberg Code? Uh, are you doing anything to track individuals who have been harmed from the shot? And maybe I am the one who escalated at first, but it got to then don't go to a dark place. You know, this, this kind of anger, it can be bad. Uh, And I kind of respond, well, I'm at peace. I'm doing what I think is right. Uh, As well as saying someone who thinks they know everything about one side of the issue, doesn't really know anything about both. I'm like, well, he said it a couple of times. I asked, well, what's the other side of the issue? He's like, well, that's like medical safety, but I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And then even asked, even asked if I've heard of the crusades saying that too much ideology is bad. Have you heard the crusades? And I mean, some of them were absolutely justified. And
0: so let, let me let me jump on that real quickly, because you have that in your article. And it really struck me because suddenly the pivot turns and your faith is used as a weapon against you. i just found that a really interesting way you were writing that because mm. here. I mean, obviously, you're, you're open on your faith and suddenly it's like they pivot. And and I, I'm saying this from also from the outside optic. Because right now there's this huge push on Christian nationalism sure. to, to get, denigrate Christians as a whole, Catholics included. I mean, it is one, I mean, all in one body. And when he starts throwing this thing out, it's like you're just one of those that wants to almost like saying you, you want to wage a religious war. And it's like, actually, we're you're, you're responding to as God leads. And it's like, this is morally wrong. But it's interesting how that came up. Is, do you see that as just like one of these, last ditch efforts to just fling flechettes at you in any way because they're just, they're so at loss for the facts in which you've done a great job of researching.
1: Yeah, I think it was just kind of a gaslighting thing and he was reaching for what he could at the point. And I think it might have been maybe one of the most different, uh, excellent interviews he's ever had. (laughs) you know it's probably just guys who are like yeah i want to go to i want to go get my mba and you know sell drugs and make a bunch of money and you know use whatever title so i'm not like too worried about it we get this done in five minutes please or i'm really angry about something and i've been screwed over and blah and and there were guys who were leaving who were a lot angrier than me and i mean they didn't have this happen to them um so i'm saying this but i also want to highlight that i got along great with my unit i love i love the leaders i love my battalion commanders i uh, actually, MC the last battalion ball, and I made jokes about being anti-vaxxer six. So, if you, nice. So, and I made you know some a little colorful military humor, and it's just it's fine, you know. I so I don't want anyone to take this and be like, oh, this guy's just angry. He just hates everything, and you know he's just gonna be bitter. It's like no, and I'm happy right now. I'm happy because I'm trying to do what God wants. But so within within that, I guess going back to that interview or. It, I I just kind of bring up, well, you know, I think that's a little off topic, but really, you know, if you're trying to compare Christianity and Islam, Islam spread through the sword, Christianity has spread through the blood of martyrs. That's something we have to realize too that if it spread through the blood of the martyrs, that's because we're asked to unite ourselves to the cross of Christ. Paul talks about how he is building up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. That doesn't mean that Christ's suffering was not enough, but that means that. He loves us so much that he allows us to join him in suffering with him in being part of his mystical body. And it's a beautiful thing. And we Paul also says that if we've been baptized into his life, it means we also have to have to die into his death. So we're carrying out the crucifixion every day in our lives so that we might rise with him to the eternal life. And you can't have one without the other. Uh, So I bring up the point about the blood of the martyrs um, and Islam being spread by the sword. And then I, then there's the question of what would you say to a Christian who got the shot or or was thinking of it. And I was also asked, do you believe in selfless leadership? And at that point, I'm like, uh, how do you, how do you define that? Cause I just figure we need to define terms and I'm asked, do you think that your actions reflected selfless leadership? I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did what I believe was right. And I didn't, I was just kind of batting off answers and it, it actually is a little bit offensive now that I, um, say it out loud. That's all I'm trying to do (laughs) is, is the right thing.
0: It's really interesting to me. This has been an ongoing discussion on, from my perspective is what has happened to our leadership. So everything you're talking about here is exemplar in what American military leadership should be. And especially at, at your rank captain. And I speak about this often. If we go back to world war two, it is the captain's that made the difference in our success because they were the ones. And I, I use uh, the Saving Private Ryan is just a fantastic scene when they come off of off of the beach, Omaha, and he's sitting yeah. in the field talking to a colonel, and the colonel's talking to him. And I mean, we have the juxtaposition of the of the uh, Reuben sandwich or whatever it is, you know, sliced meat sandwich. Here, you know, the captain's been eating out of cans and walking through bodies, but it's the point that. The trust in the captain was profound. In fact, that's the origins of our concept of battle captain. I mean, it's like you had the eyes, the ears, and the soldiers, and the dependency on good NCOs. But it was the moral leadership of the captain that kept everything together. We have gone from that to where soldiers were the center point, and the soldiers welfare and success was the center point, to these comments that you're hearing even from your sergeant major which is be a good soldier, basically obey. Yeah. And we have lost the entire lessons, even from Vietnam, of Lieutenant Cali and melee. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to, in your perspective, what has happened here? Because this is unbelievable derailment of the core of what American military has been so strong about.
1: I mean, that's an amazing question, and it's one that we need to explore. But And and do you actually just say it's just the military or is it the country in general? And is it just the the kind of rampant secularism? Is it just leaving God? But even beyond that, um, I think that there was a little bit more natural virtue in the past. So, <clears> hmm.
0: <throat> well, I think you just hit on something which is really important. I talk about it all the time. Is what happens when a nation walks away from God? Yeah. Where do we end up? And and the metaphorically, as I say, we walk into the desert. Right. But we have without any without any leadership, and we almost get to the point of, you know, instead of mana, we want meat. That moment, right? And. And the consequences that come from that
1: yeah and i'm i'm writing a, a thesis paper right now and it it goes with aquinas and he asked was there whether the divine revelation or is is faith natural for necessary for kind of natural virtue and we would say that typically it's not but he says it is needed because without the light of christ even those natural capabilities that we have as humans are harder to to achieve and to come to and to flourish and we have just Amazing uh, non-Christian exemplars such as Aristotle, Plato, coming so close to the truth, but really without that kind of light, it's it's just it's just impossible. Like sin has just darkened our minds to a great extent.
0: Oh, I fully agree. You hit that earlier with the derailment in the civilian side of where we've gone, I and mean, we've seen it in the military. But this, we've gone from being a country built on the foundations of the loving Christ to a country now that says you can be anything including a cat and put a litter box in schools. I mean, and this is, I don't know how much farther we can get from the truth.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I would have to read up a little bit more on founding fathers. I don't know. I i know that the constitution it's very much on the natural law. I don't necessarily baptize them fully. Um, and I, I think that it's obviously the most important document that we have, but yeah, we we've absolutely strayed from those, those Christian principles that we've had early and just what was in the water. And I think that's losing a lot of our different institutions. Um, Cause let's say you're not even talking about Christ, but you still have Christian values. That's going to last for some time. And it's going to look a lot like sort of that life, that flourishing that comes with trying to follow the commandments and the commandments. They're not supposed to be, Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. Every no is a yes to something else. The no to thou shalt not murder is a yes. Life has value. The no thou shalt not steal is a yes, private property. And same with adultery. That's a yes to having the proper loving relationship between a man and a woman. So when people kind of misunderstand that, that that can make it more difficult. But it's it's really, these are rules for how you flourish in life. And if you look at a car, man, it's like a car manual. You wouldn't put sand in your gas tank. Your car is not going to run that way. And when you go against the natural principles that we've been given and how we're made, then it it just leads to sadness. And it's tough seeing that. It absolutely is. I mean,
0: your your path here in, in, in your story is very compelling and it's, it speaks deeply to your, your values and really the values we've lost. I'm gonna, I am going to throw back at you a little bit. For me, the most important document in our nation is the Declaration of Independence. Sure, yeah. Because it's in there that our moral law is established because all rights come from our Creator. Right. And it, furthermore, what's amazing about that is that itself came from the sermons written 80 years prior. So the power of the nation was built on the pulpit, and that was a, a range of denominations. Right. So it, it speaks deeply to the origins of the, the root of our country, which was the faith in, in God, which I find to be uh, amazing. And, and even then, we had the, com- the hard belief in Jesus, and then we had those, like you said, that say, well, I, I, believe, in, I believe in God, the, the, the variations. But these overall binding fact, Mm -hmm. was that there was a moral and natural law in which we were supposed to be part of. And I I just think that's, we have gone so far from that place.
1: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not taking away from it. I'm not saying it was, you know, just totally secularist, you know, and even if you were secular, then you're, you're doing better than a secular now. Um, (laughs) That's well said.
0: Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. So
1: anyway, I, I decide to leave the army July 1st, last day, get out Um and since then, I went on an Ignatian retreat, which is just a fantastic experience. That's like an eight-day silent retreat, led by a retreat master. You're just not talking. You you go in, you pray five times a day for an hour, meet with a director for half hour to an hour each day, and and you're really just kind of learning about uh, the purgative process, the illuminative process, and then the unitive, and purging yourself from those sins, those selfish desires, illuminating. What Christ He wants to teach you, reveal to you, and then trying to unite your will and intellect to His or your will. Um, and I just really, I, I don't know. I'm very blessed and and went through that trying to figure out what does God want me to do next. And then it's July 31st, and I said it was an Ignatian retreat. The Feast of Saint Ignatius of Loyola is July 31st, and that's when my article gets published and all this craziness happens. And you're like, oh, who's this John guy? Never heard of him. Okay, that's who he is. Um, so. Very happy to be here now trying to spread this and doing it, yeah, for the life issue. But I'm also doing it because I love my country and it's worth fighting for. Um, love of country, is a, it's a Christian virtue. It's a good thing. And there are certain steps that we we should take. And I appreciate you helping right now with the step of raising awareness. A lot of people weren't familiar with what was happening to the military before the mandate, during the mandate, and after.
0: It's been the darkest part of this fight as far as information. Yeah, on the outside, it was, as I've said many times, we fought aggressively in the informational plane, not to take the shot, and and that was, and then there's a pivot that happens that once you once you realize that we've gone as far as we can with that, we now turn towards mercy and we turn towards prayer and healing and seeking to bring others to repentance. That's, and I, I think right now that in my observation there is a bit of a lag only because of the nature of the organization, What you're representing still is that you're out, but that fight still has to be very virulent within the ranks because there's, there's still a very oppressive mentality of trying to force and comply from the observation I'm seeing. Hopefully that's pivoting, but it's, it's a very destructive element that's happened within our ranks.
1: I mean, there's, there's some hope and there's a lot of individuals who have come up to me and they regretted getting a shot and just congratulating me on holding fast and strong and, you know, I at the same time I don't think someone's going to come up to me like, "Hey, man, I think you're wrong." You know, that's not going <laughs> to really get very far in a conversation. But I think that there is some recognition that this was total BS. That the next time something like this happens, they need to think a little bit more critically. And I hope that 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 sticks. But we need to make it stick a lot more. Uh, and that's where we just we just need accountability. So there's a number of different warriors, such as myself, who you've had on, and we're just trying to get this word out of what's going on. And just different faiths, backgrounds, mostly Christians, Catholics, but but to try to bring that, that um, accountability. And there just hasn't been accountability for anything with regards to military leaders. In fact, I was so surprised that the mandate went out because of how botched the Afghan withdrawal was. I thought, man, this is so shameful. This is terrible. But there's no way they can do something more shameful and then mandate us to take this right now. And lo and behold, that happens. Well, there isn't real attempt
0: to try to brush this under the rug, and and I, I I'm going to go to your article because you have some great quotes in here. When do we take a stand? When do we think critically? How do we justify following an order to determine to the detriment of our own country's defense and the health and well being of the service members themselves? I mean, that's a, it's an extremely insightful statement and the state of affairs in the military. What's your thoughts on that? Is now you've sit you've had some time to look back on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That people need to be critically thinking at all times that this, the structure. And I think one of the problems is outside of a war situation and and within a special operations unit, especially there's that desire to continue to climb the ranks that we're competitive, but we're also competitive in trying to make it to that next level and that people being worried about the system of what checks, what do I need to do to be the good yes, man, to get those two most qualified oers, officer evaluation reports, etc. so there's so I don't know how you get you get people back to maybe love of country to critical thinking instilling those values more, and it's something that uh, probably just has to be on the individual, you know it's what what class can you give someone that okay, we had a class in the Constitution, we're good to go now, you know there there has to be just a fundamental change and it's a it's going to be at a local level, it's going to be. Um, people going to good churches, getting, having good faith lives, uh, having good marriages, good families, raising good children. um, And we can only control what's within our sphere of control. Uh, Some of us are going to be called to doing that on a more national scale. Um, All of us need to be aware of what's going on. And I think especially military leaders, and that's That's where it frustrates me when they say, oh, apolitical, this, that. Well, apolitical to me in the military, it sounds like you're burying your head in the sand, and it's a little annoying when you know everything about all of the uh, authorities, privileges, just kind of technical terms for what you can do when you're down south. Uh, You know different country plans. You know about the problems that are happening in Colombia and Venezuela, but you don't... (laughs) Hey, we have a communist leader in this country. Hey, what what about our country? You know, what is our... What is our president doing right now? How is that affecting the national decision policies? Uh, are those good? Are those bad? How can I comply to the extent that I can and not totally screw stuff up? I don't know.
0: What's your thoughts? Because Special Forces here is a very unique outfit, obviously. Establishment John F. Kennedy intended to do unconventional warfare. In fact, it's very interesting because in one of his speeches to Special Forces, he made the comment that there comes a point when you may be the last line of defense for the United States, implying something where we are today. When you start to look at that component, the one thing I find about Special Forces is not only do you work with the people, but you're probably more connected to we the people as as any unit in the military. And to me, I think that there's a break there that's happened is that there is a an idea now that somehow in the military, it's once you join, you're a you're a separate type of structure outside of government. But you were just hitting on this. And this is where we use the term apolitical. In fact, it's always been we, the people and the military are together. Mm -hmm. which is where government is subordinate to the wills of the people. What's your thoughts on that process? Because I, I think this is part of the convolution we're dealing with right now is the misalignment of where authorities lie. It's not in the heart, but in the command.
1: Man, that's a, that's a lot. Let me try to think and unpack that one there. Um, yeah, I mean, special forces, we absolutely do work with, with people and in relationships is a huge thing. And that's a lot of training there, but, um, yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to trying to work through that one because there's a lot there.
0: Yeah. There is a lot there. It's intended. I mean, it, I mean, I think the point that it's interesting because I was working with Seventh Group. In fact, when Jade Helm was going on, the original one of the original ones. Yeah. And and the questions they were asking me because Jade Helm went ballistic on, on in the media. In fact, even got so crazy. People were so like, this is Obama's plan to steal our guns, and they're out here practicing that. And in, ta- in talking to the guys there, and the questions are being asked for me because I'm I'm consulting from the outside. It's like, what's happened to people? Can't they see that we're like the first ones to step in to protect that gun grab? Mm, yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm going with this. Is there is a there has been a deep sentiment within special forces I have always found of a conscious understanding of the role of nation and people, and the and the role of what that overall mission is, which was to defend the constitution. And I, I don't find that conversation happening as much outside of special forces or even special operations yeah. on a broader scale. We're just not hearing that conversation much anymore.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, you look at the special forces mission what makes special forces different than every other special operation community is especially that indigenous people approach and it's either through unconventional warfare or foreign internal defense and unconventional warfare is when you're trying to uh, coerce, disrupt, or overthrow the occupying government. You're working with the indigenous people to free them, de oppressa libera, to free the oppressed from a difficult situation. And then for an internal defense, is when you have an insurgency, a group of individuals that is not uh, supporting the country, uh, the legitimate country, and you're trying to kind of squash that. Uh, and yeah, if, if you think about it uh, for outside, you got to think inside and.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of those difficult places, but I think it's an important discussion. You you wrote here in your article, um, at this point, I believe that God can use the gifts, talents, and passions He gave me to serve Him in a better way. I also fear that any good any good I could potentially do in the military would be drastically nullified based on the guidance and leadership coming from politicians and top military brass. So you're out. You've, you've followed where God's led you and you said you feel good. Where do you see that path and direction going? So,
1: yeah, right now, um, I am really surprised that, uh, I'm getting this traction that I'm talking to you. I'm talking to other individuals and I think right now it's going to be, um, well, one, I'm knocking my thesis paper out. Uh, hopefully the thesis director, I don't know if you've seen that I've been in the news and he's like, all right, I hope you're still working on your paper, but you know, I need to knock that out, get that master's in systematic theology, um, but also just try to spread awareness and what's going on within the military, um, spread awareness for the life issue. And a lot of us would, what we're trying to do is we want this issue raised. We need to learn from this experience. You do an AAR after every every military um, exercise. And if a teacher gives a test and one student fails, that's, that's that student's fault. But if a teacher gives a test and all of the students 90% fail, well, that's the teacher's fault. And there's something systematic and problematic going on with regards to the military, with the culture, to the fact that we all went along with, with the pandemic, with these forced uh, shots. So would like to get awareness going, would like to have and need to have accountability to those leaders. And the way that we govern, we the people, is through our duly elected officials. So for those elected officials to take the time to have hearings, congressional hearings, investigations, and actually, yeah, carrying out, I don't know, justice, whatever that looks like legally, not saying anything crazy, but to to try to rectify the situation, get the leaders in there that are going to work for love of country instead of just love of money, love of power, whatever it is. And throughout this process, this isn't just throwing everybody under the bus. It's taking a look at what are our actual weaknesses what are the things that people can, can't be held culpable for? Because I think that my leaders, they absolutely could have done more, but I think they did a whole lot for me that they thought they could do, but I'm not going to get Stockholm syndrome and just excuse everything. Uh, so it just, it just needs to be, yeah, we, we just need to have that kind of awareness, that kind of accountability, um, figure out what we're kind of doing as a country. And yeah, maybe it starts with a citizen. Maybe it starts with just having people actually love their country maybe getting your kids out of the public school system and teaching them at home. Um, Yeah, there's, there's a number and, and just, there's, there's so much of that spiritual component too. So for Christians, Catholics out there, just, just get on your knees, pray fast. Um, You're not called to success. You're called to faithfulness. So be faithful. And we're not made for this world either. So if it seems like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, great. You're not going to be here forever. Plan for heaven, store up your goods for heaven and don't think you need to make that, utopia here. That's not, that's not what we're called to do to the extent that we can affect that great extent when that we can't, um, praise God.
0: Well, I'm just going to make some kind of some final comments and let you comment on these here. But number one, you say things kind of amazing how quickly this article grew. Special forces are the quiet professionals. And literally when, when a green beret captain steps away from a career that takes so much work, and, and I don't know if you realize, it's, I think it's missed. I'm not saying you don't understand it, but I'm saying I think it's missed how much the, the cultural value a Green Beret has in our nation. They are truly the penultimate of what accomplishment in great types of American warfare is. So you become the canary in the cold mine, quite literally, stepping out and not being forced out, but stepping out. Sure. You, it really, it is that it is that signal flare that goes up and people say, wait a minute. What just happened? So I do think that you've stepped into a very blessed walk here, but it's a very profound walk, Mm. and it's and I I think that it's something to value deeply. I also just want to make a very interesting comment because you talked at the beginning that we can talk about between Christians and Catholics. You don't talk like a normal Catholic. No, talk about you talk like a man of God, and and I'm just I'm I'm really saying this, and it's wonderful, and and I think that there is there is something very anointed in that space of when you even said to me before the show that you hope to, hope to be able to build the, the unified consciousness, I don't, I'm using my terms, not sure. yours, yeah. uh, of of Catholics. And I, I think it's a moment right now where God is calling us from various different walks and bringing us together because it is one body in Christ, and mm-hmm. we have to stand together. So it, it's just some amazing observations here today, it's been very refreshing and enjoyable in the conversation with you, and I, I just really encourage you as you're going forward here in the, the the platform that God's giving you. And I, I think it's a very profound space to step into. And you do carry a great deal of, of credibility, not just from Kingdom, but also equally from your background and also from your Green Beret. It's a, it's a very important moment, I think, for the nation to start paying attention to when our, what I would say, our kind of branded penultimate warrior mm-hmm. steps away and says, there's a problem. We better all be listening.
1: Yeah. I guess what I'd leave it with is, I don't don't know. Yeah. We absolutely need to do what we can listen to that voice of God. I mean, spend that time with him in prayer to understand it. And I'm not trying to do anything special. And what I've kind of tried to remind myself is Luke 17 when Jesus gives the parable of, uh, and he talks about, would you, who has a servant out in the fields when he comes back, would you tell him, Hey, have a seat at the table. I'm going to go ahead and, and serve you. No. He says, Get in here, serve me my food, and when I'm done eating, you you can go ahead and you can eat and drink and enjoy yourself, but you're serving me first. And at the end of the day, that servant says, "I am just a humble servant. I'm only doing what's my duty. That's that's it, man. There's nothing special about me, sin in many other ways. so but if everybody just tries to do their duty to God to country, we're just gonna be a good place. And just pray for those who who don't have that grace, don't have that light. Um, understand that the gift that God has given you of truth, like Jesus is truth incarnate. So if you're able to recognize that this is great, this is great. Don't get angry at others who don't understand that they're just in darkness. Pray for them. Be merciful to them. Give them peace, patience. That's how we're going to win them back. We're not going to win them back through venom, anger, violence. It needs to be a conversion of the heart and it needs to be through relationships and they need to be able to see God working through you. So, so be with them and pray with them.
0: Well, we always close with a prayer, and if it's okay, I'll close with a prayer.
1: Absolutely. Father
0: God, I just want to thank you today for this blessed meeting with John Frankman and just what an anointed walk you've given him to have, have the foundations to speak deeply the word, your word and to bring that love of Christ into the world, and equally to have earned the honor and respect of carrying a Green Beret. Father, this is a time that you're calling your warriors, and this is truly an unconventional fight. And so our blessings and prayers are for John and his family that this is a time now in this hour to use that grace and that mercy that you give us and equally to have the the warrior heart of Christ to raise up and to help unite at the same time to stand strong against an evil and to never bow. Father, we ask for your blessings and continued guidance in all things. And we say these things in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Amen. What a great time, John.
1: Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, guy.
0: You bet. Nice to meet you, man. I hope we get together soon, and I, I'll be in touch with you because I, I like to. I, I've got some things coming up, and we maybe like to include you if you have some time. So it'd be great.
1: Sounds good. And I totally forgot to get uh, get into how the Pope was uh, wrong on that, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> we, we can we can pick that up on another call. That'll be good. I think it would be a fun conversation as well. Sometime down the way, that you and I can get in some good faith
1: conversations. I think it would be very enjoyable. Just do a topic on that if we wanted to. I mean, yeah, yeah it sounds it'd, good. Great. But, uh... I mean,
0: it's it's just it's such an important time to build bridges and and really to to bring ourselves together we are so deeply divided as a nation right
1: it's not supposed to be i think in religious dialogue or ecumenism dude it's not you d- don't make it a debate just like present your beliefs see what the other person thinks understand if they want to change change great if not like you're not going to beat them into it because, <laughs> that's like, the truth see that's also the uw heart you're not going to get somebody to work with you by beating them with a
0: stick i mean as much as they might try that's kind of the afghan army way it doesn't work So
1: dad and I, we have enough of those conversations too. And just like, you know, button heads, but we just kind of both realized, you know what, we're on the same team, especially with this. He's been so good with the shot stuff, but. uh, That's great.
0: Well, bless you, man. Have a wonderful day and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Well, Patriots, that was captain, or actually former captain, John Frankman, Special Forces. Just a great guy. And the point I really want to drive home, and I started it at the beginning, but now that you've heard the interview, I think it's so important. This man took a position on the death shot, not based on mRNA, not based on science as they're trying to throw at us so that there's no there's no debate on what he put before us. What he stood on was the fact that there were fetal cells used in the shot. And there is a moral objection for any American that believes in life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness to use fetal cells from a baby that was developed enough, which would be over 20 some weeks to use them in our bodies to make us well when that child was not only had its life stripped from it, but had no choice in giving its cells to us to use. That's the fundamental of life. And so I commend him for this argument and arguably it is the most defensible argument I have ever heard for any shot, not let alone COVID-19 nonsense. So this is just a powerful position. And it really, when he presented it, it just, it really forced me to take a step back. Because I was like, man, I can't believe for everything that we've argued, done, and so forth, we always get caught in their narrative, which is the OODA loop of science. Trust the science, don't trust the science. Trust the science, don't trust the science. We don't have a debate here on that. It's fundamentally wrong because you're using the cells of a child whose life was stolen from it and whose body parts we are now taking without its permission. That's incredible. Great argument, solid in the way that every one of us should be arguing this thing going forward, in my opinion. It also is something that openly, as I have, we prayed on last Saturday, and I'm going to open up to you now just to consider, it's something we all should be repenting for, because For those of us, even when we argued for or against a shot, we missed this fundamental piece and its issue of life, and it's so critical. So, patriots, thank you for being here tonight. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, and out for now.
2: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe